Thanks for joining us for Beyond the Pixie Dust, the first faith-based podcast for Disney fans. Together, we're going to dive deep into scripture from inside the parks, discuss the essentials of humanity like fear, joy, and grief with Imagineers and cast members. And we're going to explore what it means to live meaningfully in our modern world. So now, I invite you to join us as we dive beyond the Pixie Dust. Well, I'm really excited to talk to our guest today. We have with us on the line Mel McGowan. He worked at Walt Disney Imagineering for a decade on projects like Disney's California Adventure Park. And he is now the Chief Creative Officer of Storyland Studios. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of that today and his time at Disney and what he's doing now. But Mel, thanks for coming on and, and being with us today. Uh, you're welcome. Been looking forward to it. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, so I, I think with most people, and especially with you, I, I want to hear, um, get to know you a little bit more. I mean, this is the first time that we, you and I have spoken other than email, and a lot of people listening, too, maybe don't know anything about you and your background. So let's go, like, way back and, and just start telling us a little bit about yourself in terms of uh, did you always dream about working for the Walt Disney Company or, you know, and, and if so, did you always want to join Imagineering? Was that something that came with time, something that you just kind of fell into? What was your journey like kind of growing up in, in relation to Disney? Well, always is a, is a long time, but um, <laughs> it does go pretty far back, a few decades at least. Um, you know, my uh, I got a weird childhood in that I was actually born in, in Saigon, Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, and, uh, you know, kind of a... a Saigon, uh, Miss Saigon story, uh, work child. And I, you know, I kind of have some early memories of bombs going off. Mm. Uh, but then my other weird early memories are uh, of us, uh, spending a, a quick, uh, family visit, uh, back in the States as we called it. Um, and, uh, my dad taking us to uh, Disneyland. And, um, I, I just vaguely only have a handful of, uh, fuzzy memories of that. Uh, one is like looking down, the lights at Main Street at night while, uh, you know, my mom and dad were uh, shopping, you know, just, you know, uh, yeah. I was bored probably. But that, that image just burned a hole in my brain, uh, you know, just seared its way in there. And then uh, the other image probably was flying out of uh, the, the Darling's window you know, on Peter Pan's flight. And I just mm. remember coming back uh, when I was old enough to kind of figure out that someone didn't literally just throw me out a window with pixie dust like <laughs> i've got to see how they did that how, how did they pull that off you know um but but with all that said um you know i i think um growing up in europe uh, i distinctly remember the opening of epcot just uh through some black and white uh, grainy tv you know uh news reel clips and that just sparking this this passion me for a, a world that could and should be, you know, and getting a sense of what the possible, and that kind of started me uh, doing some research, believe it or not, in Germany, you know, uh, continents away, you know, uh, finding an old National Geographic article from the 60s. It's still, boy, I, I just burned that one uh, into my brain as well, um, of just what uh, mid-century Disneyland was like, um, and just through, the, through this map, through this images, and really, from that point on, man, um, I was drawing theme parks in future cities. I mean, at the ripe mm -hmm. old age of 10, maybe 11. I, I remember my very first uh, Boy Scout merit badge was was architecture. <laughs> the second was probably landscape architecture. But, um, you know, I wrote uh, when I when I did have a, an opportunity to visit uh, Disneyland as a teenager, I, I remember writing my first letter to 
to Imagineering. I think it was probably still Wet Imagineering or Wet Enterprises at, the, at that time, uh, pre Eisner days. But basically, I remember specifically doing a little bit of a almost like a guest experience uh, audit, you know, <laughs> and, and basically telling them all the things they needed to fix, you know, and uh, getting a very polite cease and desist letter, but with a you know nice word of encouragement of uh, you know stay in school, kid. Uh, kind of thing but um but anyway so yeah just to say that yeah the sites were probably set pretty early on um to uh do something in that in that arena and so um yeah the the bug hit pretty early yeah some of these images that just picturing the juxtaposition of you're at home and you're hearing bombs going off and then uh, and, and you don't have all the memories to be able to kind of connect what it was like to go from one to the other but we think of at an early age then you see this idyllic everything's peaceful you're looking you remember looking down main street going on you know the fantasy of uh peter pan just the those two different images i mean most people that no matter where you're from in the world going to D disneyland or you know walt disney world you experience that peace, and sometimes you can't really place it, but it's 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 imagineered. It's there, you know. They, it's it's not beyond purpose. It's it's on purpose, um, and so. But just to think of you know how that impacted you, even just those images of here's a place where kind of everything is as it should be. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way before, but obviously, like as a at a young age, you didn't really put those things together. <laughs> but well, you know, it's been a lifelong journey about things and absolutely i think that uh you know for me that that con that that blatant contrast not only did it cause some weird wiring in me but but mm -hmm. as i've thought philosophically emotionally uh, you know why i'm just wired and, and feel really that i was like created to do uh what i do you know in terms of telling stories in three-dimensional space i i really come to believe that you know this it is kind of a calling to give people a, a taste of a, of a world that, uh, again, could and should be a world restored, reordered, uh, reimagined, um, you know, not to get spiritual with it, but, uh, yeah. you know, to me, it is almost giving people a, a taste of, of uh, what it would look like uh, for, uh, you know, the world to get put put right again, you know what I mean, and, yeah. and a world restored. And so yeah. some people would call that kingdom come or a taste of heaven. So. Uh, it's it's been fun because in our in our work we've been able to work with companies and causes, uh, both, you know, uh, sacred and secular and for profit and nonprofit. But it, it really is irrelevant to us whether we're doing some postmodern you know kind of uh, sacred space temple cathedral or whether it's a overwater bungalow you know overlooking a South Pacific yeah. lagoon. Uh, either way, you're just kind of reconnecting these uh, broken re relationships that we had to this kind of awesome world uh you know that you know it, i hope will uh will get awesome and awesomer right yeah and, and that idea of of reflecting that kingdom that peace um we know it, we don't have us it, it it said in that those specific specific words but we kind of have this idea that walt disney felt very similar because he had that conversation with billy graham and in that conversation with billy graham uh that's on record he says you know, hey, Billy, this is the real world. In other words, like, this is how things should be. Out there, beyond the park, where people are, there's racism and there's problems, like, that is not what it was meant to be. So, like, that, what you've just said, it's like, he doesn't, Walt doesn't just come right out and say, like, hey, this is kind of like the garden. Like, this is like what it's supposed to be. This is kind of heaven on earth, as close as we could get to it. But he's kind of saying, like, listen, this 
all ages having fun together, different races, different ages, different genders, like this is what should be. And I think that even if we haven't put it in those words that Walt even did to Billy Graham, there's just this reality of like, yeah, we, we can experience that. We can feel that as we walk those streets, whether it's in California or Orlando, or really, I guess, overall the world. Yeah, absolutely. There's a line that stuck with, there was a book called How to Be Like Walt. Um, and I think it was written by the coach of the Orlando Magic or something. But um, mm-hmm. I, I just remember a line that he said something about, you know, Disneyland represented just one man trying to scratch at that itch for, for eternity, you know, in his heart, yeah. you know, and, and just kind of um, recognizing uh, in that statement of this is how people really kind of are in a way that, you know, seeing the good inherent, um, you know, and the potential and possibility, you know, of, of every baby, even if that baby <laughs> has gone astray as an adult. Uh, but basically, you're, you're seeing that spark of kind of uh, divinity in a way uh, in every person. And um, and so, yeah, it, there was this obvious optimism in Walt that was, uh, you know, he was definitely not, uh, you know, for the people who worked directly with him, uh, not not what we would consider today the, the most, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, it's not exactly contemporary leadership, you know, management, right. you know, models of everybody gets a trophy and everybody gets a thank you note and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always nice, no comfort, you know, whatever. But, but he definitely, uh, had that ability to see potential in people, uh, both his employees and just his general audience and to regard them with a, a much higher regard than someone like a PT Barnum, you know, where <laughs> there's a sucker born every day, you know, kind of yep. yeah. approach that a lot of people in our industry, you know, you hear comments like, oh yeah, tourists check their luggage uh, and their brains and forget to retrieve it, you know, when they get off the plane or, you know, whatever, you hear kind of these disparaging comments of just, you know, crowd control, and, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, again, some of the things I even see in the way people treat or talk about uh, like annual pass holders, for example, you know, it's almost like, you know, your most devoted hardcore fans treating them like, you know, cult members or, or uh, what, you know, <laughs> there's just other negative terms that I've heard Imagineers uh, and corporate executives use that I just like, just think are just so, you know, sad, you know. So beyond what Walt would have said or, or would have wanted, kind of that. Yeah, yeah. Foamers, I think, is a term that I, you know, you used to hear a lot. And it's just like, you have lost touch with, you know, uh, <laughs> with the know, vision. The yeah. vision, yeah, the, at least the founder's vision and the heart behind this, this whole endeavor. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah, and, and that just goes to show, of course, with any group, with any place you go, there's always, it, it, there's no nobody, no perfect group out there. And, uh, you know, it, it's the same thing in being the pastor of a church myself. You know, people sometimes say, well, you know, the reason I don't go to church, you know, I love Jesus, I love God, blah, blah, blah. But the reason I don't go is because there's some people in churches that are, you know, the way they are. And, and in any group you're going to find, there's people that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not living up to the vision. Um, but there is something different about the vision of Disney as a whole. Because when I'm thinking of these parks, I'm thinking of... You know, I, I few and far between mention the other place in Orlando, which is you know Universal Studios. But when I do, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily always good. I, there are some things I like, but they are certainly not going by the the keys of the kingdom or anything like that in their park. So I, I never hear anybody say, "Oh, I grew up my whole life wanting to work for Universal." At least I haven't met them yet. But you hear, I've heard time and time and time again, people say, oh, I've dreamed about working for Disney my whole life. I've wanted to work in the parks. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're working in the back of 
you know, a McDonald's flipping hamburgers and, and sweating up a storm, and then you're in the back of, you know, Cosmic Rays flipping up a storm and sweating all over the place, you're probably going to feel very similarly stressed out and sweaty and not feeling much of the magic. But for some reason, people don't want to just be like, I've worked, I w I've dreamed my whole life to be a chef, but they will sign up in a heartbeat to go do the exact same thing if it's on Disney property, to be a part of that magic, not just attend it. <laughs> What, what are your thoughts on why do people want to actually make this happen so much? Well, you know, I think it's a couple things. One is, and I, I was part of this, I learned this during my tenure at Disney because, um, you know, I actually started in operations. I actually started just as a, uh, you know, in the, in the hotel division, um, you know, for seven bucks an hour while I was still in college uh, at the front desk. I, you know, I got spit at, yelled at, you know. What have you? I, I uh, you know, ended up getting trained in lots of different departments, from custodial to food and beverage, you know, so on and so forth. But I, you know, I, you know, spent a little bit of time at the Disney University, and, and um, you know, we did this uh, this uh, thing called the Leaders Pathway of, of really kind of casting or recasting the vision uh, with uh, some some significant paradigm shifts with leadership models and approaches. But you know, I think they do a great job. They they explain to. Uh, you know, for example, uh, someone working in a, a central plant laundry, which if you've never been into an industrial laundry, um, it's hard to describe. I mean, especially at the scale of these Disney uh, central plant laundries, 100,000 square feet, a couple of football wow. field sized sweatshops, basically, wow. is, is, is probably like not, not too negative way to, to put it. I mean, it's hard to kind of sugarcoat it. You can put as much pastel paint as you want, but it's a pretty <laughs> grueling working conditions and um the one at the at disneyland resort actually is underground it's it's uh mm. underneath one of the towers of the hotel they had a whole underground utilidor system underneath um you know the the area where the towers are and trader sam's but um uh, but again you're living you're living working in this <laughs> essentially metropolis underground you know situation but they i remember specifically the the amazing leadership there uh and the amazing spirit amongst the cast members there that that they would joke and say, we touch the guests closer than anyone else uh, <laughs> in the kingdom, you know, whether it's the CEO or, um, you know, a VIP tour guide, you know, uh, and they really understood, believed their contribution. And they, they understood what they were doing was part of the bigger picture of making those magical, you know, memory implants um, of that vacation, that opportunity to connect um, that uh, basically is, uh, kind of precious, you know, on, on this side of eternity and in this life, and and that uh, you know they uh, those those products basically weren't just clean sheets and towels and you know whatever they were doing. It was really ultimately that bigger picture of uh, that those shared memory implants. So you know when Disneyland talks about you know the happiest place on earth, they they got their role in creating that, and uh, to me that was a pretty powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then um, not only to witness it, but then of course being a part of it. So you say you started in the um, the hotel industry, and that's another good thing that kind of as an aside we can say that's kind of cool is a lot of the stories of people who are Imagineers or who are in some of the higher positions have um, started at some at at one of those basic entry level positions of just working in the hotels um, and kind of work their way up and. Um, aren't just hired because they were someone important, but you hear a lot of stories like that, um, that, you know, they worked uh, yeah, there for so many it's, years. It's pretty Jesus-y to, you know, uh, be 
learning by uh, cleaning toilets, you know. <laughs> I was just on the Sweep Spot podcast, and I, I love those guys. I love their podcast, and it was an honor uh, being part of that. But but I love that perspective, you know, from the custodial department perspective, because you know it's it's a different perspective than uh, you know a Tony Baxter's you know kind of creative executive or a CEO's. Right. business financial leaders perspective but man they're they're close to the heart of the guests at least closer than a lot of folks that were working in a team disney uh you know uh world-class architect architect designed hq building somewhere yeah absolutely for sure yeah so so with you tell us a little bit about where you went after the ho- the hotel kind of where where you got and, and your decade within the walt disney company and ultimately getting to walt disney imagineering well, you know, the funny story is um, I had a mentor there. Uh, well, a couple of just amazing mentors. There's a, a guy that I got to mention. His name's Hideo Amamiya. Um, I consider him a Disney legend. His window's on Main Street. He was uh, the highest-ranking Japanese executive within the Walt Disney Company. He uh, he negotiated the Tokyo Disneyland deal. Um, uh, you know, he really kind of got the Grand Floridian out of the ground. He was VP uh, of resorts for uh, Disney, um, and um, he was really part of the, the vision casting of thinking of the Anaheim property uh, with the potential of that being a, a multi-day, um, multi-hotel, you know, destination resort. So even the, the words Disneyland Resort, you know, felt so weird and foreign, you know, when people would initially say that, you know, because as you know, that original uh, 80-ish acre park you know surrounded by uh, orange groves uh, by the time we got there in, the, in 1990 it was uh, not exactly heaven on earth uh, at least outside <laughs> the gates yet you, you know hookers walking up and down harbor boulevard uh, uh-huh. you can rent the, the motels by the hour for the you know to hang with them or by the month if you were a family on the verge of homelessness uh-huh. um you know it was a tough place to be i mean the jeffrey lynn neighborhood right behind you know across walnut street from the hotel was one of the worst uh, tough toughest gay neighborhoods in North Orange County, we had stray bullets going right through the, the glass of what was known as the Benita Tower, today the Frontierland Tower. But um, yeah, it, it was a challenge to say the least, uh, kind of a, what I call an urban design intervention uh, challenge. Uh, and so, um, so really, you know, uh, he was a mentor, and I know someone else that he mentored was a, a gentleman um, named Tony Bruno, who. Uh, retired from the Walt Disney Company a few years ago as the VP of resorts in downtown Disney. And um, the neat thing about Tony is that uh, he um, was not only uh, mentored by Hideo, but uh, he ended up uh, really uh, believing in me, seeing some potential, helped uh, pave my way through grad school. I uh, got my master's at Cal Poly in uh, master planning and design and um, really was just a uh, a huge advocate for me uh, during my tenure, uh, both at Disney and beyond. Uh, the cool thing about that story, by the way, is that Tony has just come back uh, and started working with us. He, he left, After he left Disney, he went on kind of a little world tour, uh, you know, uh, expanding some Marriott, uh, Sheraton properties from Universal Studios to Anaheim to uh, Hawaii, um, you know, was in charge of some... Uh, I think the Westin uh, in in Hawaii, and Maui, and, and then ended up uh, running the Great Wolf Lodge just to kind of get back to Orange County, be closer to family and stuff. But wow. we're actually uh, on an amazing journey together, uh, developing uh, a couple of hospitality theme park destination projects that are yet to be announced here in the U.S. So it's it's kind of fun to kind of pick up 
you know, a, a 20 plus, almost 30 plus year relationship and journey and uh, take advantage of, uh, you know, one of my mentors and, and have him uh, be a collaborator these days. So, you know, that's just one thing I've learned that uh, the kingdom and uh, these kind of projects are built on relationships, not on contracts and, and not on just bricks and mortar uh, or um, Zoltorme uh, designed uh, Disney mountain ranges. Uh, you know, yeah. it definitely is, is trust and relationship um, and people that uh, do the heavy lifting and the stuff. So, yeah, it's great that it's not, and, and those relationships are not um, bound by by the job, like you say. So it wasn't just, you know, oh, well, we're done with this job. See you later. Hopefully we'll, you know, catch lunch someday. But now it's kind of come around and it's not within the Disney walls. You're doing something. And you didn't put it this way, but, I mean, you're the chief creative officer of Storyline Studios, so therefore you're kind of his boss now. <laughs> so it's a, he was your mentor, and now you kind of flip those roles a little bit, even though you're collaborating equally as well. Well, I definitely would put it that way, but uh, I'm just humbled to get to hang with the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It. But yeah, we we uh, you know we we're celebrating our 20th year this year. So we came out of 9/11 uh, just a few months after 9/11, 2001. We launched. We're we're just totally amazingly humbled and stoked to be celebrating 20 years. And we actually launched that with a big, big international design competition with a uh, we you know uh, a twenty thousand um, dollar kind of uh, award to, to really just give uh, a lot of our uh, friends and colleagues and vets out there that have been uh, either, uh, you know, um, put on some type of uh, hiatus or even potentially people just trying to get in the field to, to give them something productive to, to showcase uh, their work. And it's really more about just creating an opportunity for people to, to, you know, create a showcase where they can, you know, spend some, uh, uh, you know, not idle time, but but spend some time on some passion projects and spend some time articulating that uh, and, you know, for the purpose of getting that showcased. Uh, but again, for us, it's been just an amazing journey, you know, over the 20 years of uh, working with such a diverse base of clients uh, in both companies and causes and uh, to, to literally go around the world, you know, every continent uh, and, uh, you know, to slowly organically grow uh, to over 100 uh, you know, architects, artisans, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, accountants, <laughs> we've got just this motley crew of, of people, uh, literally from around the world, people today in Hong Kong, in London, uh, in multiple locations right. across the U S. So it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's fun. I get to kind of sort of be, uh, a face with the place, uh, you know, first one in last one out, uh, yep. but, but more than anything kind of. Uh, kind of a, a big cheerleader, uh, bouncer at the door. You know, I still get to kind of pick which uh, which uh, projects we're going to try to steward our time by bringing into fruition. And we're, we've been blessed to not be like a lot of other firms that are just happy to get a check to draw pretty yeah. pictures. And I watched that, you know, nine times out of ten. I just had lunch with a, an imaginary veteran, a former executive creative director. After 33 years of Disney, he got, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, early retired um, but, uh, you know, he was saying batting average, you know, 10% of projects that he worked on get built and that would break my heart. You know, cause we, we pour in wow. love, sweat and tears into this stuff. And, uh, we've been able to kind of run a, a pretty, uh, you know, flip that to have 90% of the projects actually get executed and built. And, nice. and a lot of that is the work on the front end that I do, just making sure that, um, you know, just value our time, you know, cause we only have so many, uh, days, minutes, uh, you know, months. On this side of return, we want to make the biggest dent, you know, that we can in the darkness. So 
we're we're all about uh, cherry picking the projects that uh, that we believe in. So we we're blessed to, to be in that position for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And what I what you were saying early on when you were just talking about that of really what was given to you sometime back when you were telling your story of that opportunity that was given to you to, to do this type of stuff. Now you're able to kind of have that option to give the opportunity to other people as well and kind of repay that that happened for you to other people now and they're kind of learning and, and getting into this stuff. So. Um, well, we've place. learned. I mean, to put it on, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like totally selfless, and you know, uh, sure. you know, I mean, there's definitely we've always poured into that next generation. We've we've known. I, I'm on the board with the Theme Entertainment Association. We we've known that uh, we have to pour into the next generation because you know there was just such a big kind of a you know wave of. <laughs> Imagineers that were trained up, you know, and you know, different big waves and pushes mm. with Disney. Um, but you know, a lot of those, you know, those seasoned veterans are kind of aging out, retiring, and so we, we just recognize that strategically as a themed entertainment association board. And um, with within our practice, we've always, uh, you know, kept the ears to the ground with different uh, schools and design programs. I was actually blessed to actually help uh, start a program, um, at least be part of the original vision casting dreaming and and teaching uh at a program it, it's actually the first um as far as i know um it, it was the only second it was the second faith-based uh program in the country that actually had an accredited architectural program it's at a school called cbu in southern california that has a cabad program a college of architectural visual arts and design but the cool thing is by being involved with it early we were able to model our studios practice, which models Imagineering's practice and blending so many different disciplines. So rather than an architecture school, uh, you know, alone, we, it's got the fields of, uh, you know, environmental uh, design, graphics, um, you know, um, we, you know, I've taught urban planning there. I mean, we, we there, mm-hmm. the film, communication, I mean, it really is a holistic uh, program that's modeled uh, on our approach of what we call three-dimensional storytelling, where we've got entire teams focused on um, spatial storytelling, which is our code for Imagineering. Yeah. <laughs> We've got teams that's uh, spaces that you can step into. We've got teams focused uh, on strategic storytelling, uh, you know, that, that's like brands and emotions that, that you carry with you. Um, and uh, and then we have teams uh, focused on uh, digital or interactive storytelling. So uh, those those uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, online, uh, and sometimes in person interactive experiences that uh you know blend god's gifts technology so it's really fun to be able to have that that mix of disciplines in in house we're not aware of any other uh group in the world that quite works like that even within disney uh it's it's kind of a fairly unique mix so it's definitely a wide scope that hits on a lot of different areas so you're able to do a lot uh in a lot of different ways well it's funny because it's been surprising uh, the clients that that it actually makes perfect sense to involve us, whether it's corporate 100, you know, uh, clients, whether, uh, it's nonprofit, uh, you know, we work with church planners that haven't even launched their uh, ministry yet, you know, but helping them figure out the story that they want told from the ether to the environment, from the brand to the building that they're either renting, borrowing or, or building. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, um, you know, whether it's just almost like a pop-up experience, there's still room to be intentional, whether it's a template website, whether it's a, you know, uh, 
you know, anyway, so yeah, that, that idea of having that internal consistency, getting that story straight is applicable at all scopes and budgets and, and scales. So it's been uh, fun to, to bring that kind of story clarity uh, yeah. to the table. Yeah, and, it, and it's the same with the project you're talking about just now as it is at Disney. A lot of that, and what you're when you were talking about this, some of the details of physical spaces that people may think they don't necessarily notice, um, but those small little things are all kind of telling the story, even as you just see them. It doesn't have to be a plaque that says, here's what we're trying to tell you here. In fact, it never really is. It's just, okay, you're entering this space and you kind of pick up on something, maybe next time a little something more, but all your five senses, in a lot of these areas, at least at, at Disney, are kind of telling that story. Um, it's not a audible story you're hearing or a story you're reading, but it's happening with your other senses. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're continuing on with in all these different ways, in the spatial storytelling and even in the virtual reality, all these different ways that you guys are doing that now, too. Well, absolutely. You know, the funny thing is, um, you know, the way that our modern society is structured, everyone's educated, trained, and wired to almost tell stories in these different disciplinary, you know, manners. Like, so, you know, a mathematics uh, professor, um, you know, creating a, a very uh, math logic based approach, you know, is is getting from point A to point Z in a very linear way. Uh, an engineer, uh, a philosophy teacher, uh, a religious teacher, you know, is, is trying to appeal to minds and hearts in a very specific way, usually through, you know, uh, either verbal or written words uh, in the intellect or the heart. But, but you know, the, the idea of uh, telling stories with all five senses uh, to really eventually touch the heart and the emotion and the spirit. Um, that's just the world that we live and breathe in. We, we definitely have come to understand that people don't perceive that consciously necessarily. But um, when there's uh, kind of inconsistency, uh, mm-hmm. when you have that, that one element, uh, the, you know, the copper penny you know, from the somewhere in time analogy that, that takes you out of the, the immersion and the reality that uh, you're trying to script and, and uh, yeah. create and produce, um, that, you know, that, that affects your, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, you get a clear sense, like at a Six Flags park that, uh, we're not in Kansas or Disneyland anymore. <laughs> you know, we're in the world of, you know, Coca-Cola ads screaming at us and that, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of things that uh, a lot of uh, different park operators just don't understand at the same level as Disney. And, and you know, there, you can almost grade the, the, uh, the brands and the park operators, for example, the, the, the entertainment groups, uh, based on the level of quality, um, you know, and, and the average consumer, I, I don't know if they would really articulate all the differences, but, you know, it's, it's kind of, to me, one of the things that makes differences, uh, whether the, the on the ground operations management folks, um, that run these places kind of understand, uh, that concept of, uh, immersive story, um, and again, it's, they'll, they'll say, well, we don't have the budget. We're not in the same business as Disney. We're just in, you know, the, the carny business or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right. it's, it's kind of crazy. I actually was able to contribute a chapter to a, a book uh, called uh, Imagineering an American Dreamscape that was essentially charting the, the story of the rise of the regional theme park industry. And to understand that a lot of the regional parks that are today run by uh, clients and companies and friends of ours at, at places like Six Flags and Cedar Fair, a lot of those parks were done by former 
either Disney Imagineers or Hollywood art directors. And I'm talking guys like Harper Goff and Herb Ryman. Mm. Um, I mean, guys that we consider just design heroes. Um, but they were able to participate in some of these, uh, you know, smaller regional ventures by local businessmen that were trying to bring that Disney match to their hometown. And, and uh, I remember doing work for one of these park chains and pulling up some of these original renderings done by, like, John DeCure, like, you know, this this uh, Hollywood production design MGM god, you know, and, and they were like, that's beautiful. What, where is it? I'm like, that was your park. That was your, that was your concept art. That was what this park kind of sort of was built on, what it kind of looked like at opening day, but the, the layers of management and ownership changes and different facility managers thinking, oh, this thing needs a new fresh coat of paint, so I'm just going to pick the brightest, flashiest you know, fluorescent colors I can find and slap that over whatever setting we're in and put in a, you know, a Panda Express in a Western setting <laughs> and put a Mexican restaurant in a Chinese setting, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, no yeah. concept of, of story and space. You know, are you thinking of, are, are you thinking of something specific or are you just throwing it out there? Because I kind of feel like... I'm thinking like... of a lot of things very specific. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been to a couple of those places. So you said Panda Express. <laughs> I'm like, that's how, I think I've been there, so... Yeah, we, we all have. We all have, so... <laughs> And I yeah. love Panda Express. Don't yeah, get me wrong. yeah, yeah, right. I'm a regular. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I mean, we're kind of already talking about this, obviously, but just uh, the building of a theme park or the building of this space. And I don't know everything. And this is what I want to ask you about. Um, I know you were involved in. I believe you were involved in the building of Disney California Adventure. Um, was that from the very beginning? What was your involvement with that? What What did that look like for you? Sure. Yeah. Well. Um, Myself and a number of our team members were involved. Um, you know, I started in 1990. Actually, one of the things that prompted me to apply, I mean, I was still uh, finishing up my film degree, uh, focusing on production design. And, um, you know, and they did this big uh, announcement of uh, first, I think it was Westcott, um, the, the kind of the, the big announcement that they were going to uh, basically unpave the parking lot of Disneyland and put up Paradise, right? They were going to bring this. Uh, this West Coast version of Epcot, but really it, it was even better because with that that kind of uh, space station Earth golden ball uh, surrounding uh, the four corners of the world, it was really to me like a picture of uh, you know even though the, the the vision some people have of heaven, the city of heaven coming down and landing mm-hmm. from <laughs> Revelation Earth is is some some people think that's going to be more of a square. It was this picture of heaven, right? This this golden glowing. Uh, 300 diameter foot orb, you know, surrounded by this lush lagoon in the four corners of the world, and it was just this wonderful picture of the the the, the line and revelation of the kings of the earth bringing the the best into the city. I mean, it was just really a compelling vision that certainly caught my imagination. And, and friends like Tony Baxter, and Doris Woodward, that uh, you know poured their hearts, you know, soul, sweat, and tears in that. Everyone still considers that the one that got away, you know, because the idea that you could spend the night you know, in the magic of, uh, the Asian hotel, the European hotel, um, you know, yeah. just so powerful and, and what a natural continuation of, you know, Walt's Victorian Main Street USA into a, a turn of the century, Grand Centennial, Philadelphia World's Fair arcade, uh, you know, not too different than the World Bazaar in Tokyo, but, uh, but, you know, with that turn of the century World's Fair theme, harkening back to the original Crystal Palace, just a perfect natural transition and bridge for Main Street, just so well thought, so well executed. And then, you know, a few months, I think, after that, the, the dueling banjo 
announcement of Port Disney um, and Disney Seas. And it, actually, that's one I think I remember specifically. They were going head to head trying to jockey the cities together. But, you know, the, 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 the whole bold vision of creating this landfill, you know, on the Pacific, uh, you know, coast there around the, the Queen Mary that, you know, eventually uh, Japan got. Uh, that's still probably the one of the, the sweetest spots on earth <laughs> from an imaginary and, and fan perspective in terms of the, the pure amount of dollars per per square foot or, or I guess yen per square foot uh, and pixie dust per square foot poured into any spot on the planet. Uh, you know, it's just a work of definitely a work of art and, and craft and beauty. Um, but again, to have both of those uh, projects that the launch of what Michael Eisner at the time called the Disney decade was uh, certainly great in that it was kind of sort of coinciding with me finishing up film school, uh, my finishing up my bachelor's degree. And, and yeah, there was probably, um, I did get another job offer. I had a, a, a someone offered me a, a pretty sweet, uh, global leadership level job right out. I mean, I graduated magna cum laude at a full ride scholarship. I, you know, I was, uh, um, had a few opportunities and I remember him saying, Hey, we could set you up and you'll, you're on a pretty good track here. And it was in a lot of ways, a dream job, but, but I remember this guy specifically saying everything about your wiring and DNA and words and heart passion screams, Disney, you know, he's like, you know, if I was you, if you were my son, you might want to consider just going there and figuring out how to, you know, uh, push a broom, you know, and he's a broom closet for your, right. he's like, I don't care what it is, but I, I think that you'll do well in the fertile soil of that ecosystem over there. And, you know, that's not exactly the words that he used, but that's kind of basically um, how I, I remember the advice. Um, and boy, um, he was right. I mean, it was just a, a great place to be um, to start off a career and, uh, you know, amazing training ground, training camp, um, learn some lifelong lessons and paradigms. And I actually think of that as my real grad degree because, um, you know, I was working there for uh, a lot of hours a day while pursuing my graduate degree, but uh, I kind of consider the lessons learned there at least as valuable as anything I did in grad school. So, um, yeah, I, I forgot how it went on that tangent, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that's okay because you've introduced us to some of these things. Like you're there now, and when you when you first arrive, are you still kind of envisioning? Oh yeah, Westcott California Adventure. Yeah, well, it, yeah. It, that's what you're asking about. Yeah, to me, the the big thing that caught my imagination was um, was again that vision that uh, I think Tony Baxter really put out there of what if you could spend the night in the magic. And then another thing that was synced up with me again, I remember that, that back to that early trip, right. Of Disneyland, I was talking about, I did go back later with my dad who had actually ended up moonlighting and doing uh, some work uh, at Disney. And um, he would tell me uh, about work in security and about these kids that would, um, you know, they would have to sweep uh, or, or kind of, do a security check of um, the park, you know, and at park closing. And one of the things uh, he would talk about is um, making sure that, uh, you know, everyone was out of buildings. And he would talk about walking uh, parts of the Caribbean and finding kids that had uh, jumped over the boat somehow and were trying to spend the night, you know, on one of the <laughs> sets of the parks. And I'm wow. thinking, dude, you should not have told me that. <laughs> it's a killer idea. I yeah. can't wait to try that. Yeah, yeah. So I was just fixated on this idea of what if, what if uh, either I or or someone could, yeah. you know, spend the night. You know, the, and this was, you know, uh, 
anyways. Well, there's legends that it's happened on Tom Sawyer Island, I think. I think it's happened maybe once or twice there, but I don't know about in one of the attractions. I'm not, I haven't heard that being pulled off. <laughs> right, and of course they've done these 24-hour parties. And people, sure, you know, sure. You can pay to do it. But to me, just the idea that you could fall asleep, enter REM sleep, that dreamscape, then wake up and still be immersed in the magic. There was just something compelling about that idea of yeah. shifting the paradigm from just a, a you know, a four to eight hour, maybe 12 hour marathon, you know, just, you know, a, a, a day long experience into something that, again, you could basically feel like you were living, living the magic, living the dream, waking up, still being immersed. And that yeah. really pushed us where we actually did look at things like, um, again, working with Tony, looked at things like, what if we did a, a Club 33 hotel, you know, above New Orleans Square? What if we did a, um, a uh, 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 hotel basically where Galaxy's Edge is now, kind of almost like a wilderness lodge, Rivers of America, you know, kind of grand uh, American lodge, you know, kind of overlooking the Rivers of America, you know, and, and basically um, just let people be immersed and spend the night, look out their window, you know, looking at that, that remember how quiet and serene that backstretch of the Rivers of America was uh, before yeah. the rerouting. And so, um, that, that's something that I ended up getting the, you know, the opportunity to pour quite a bit of time in with the Grand Californian Hotel. I kind of think of that as one of, you know, the babies that I, I'm happy to have spent whatever amount of brain damage uh, <laughs> or incurred whatever amount of brain damage to figure out how to crack that code and get over all the objections of, you know, the, the you know, people worried about, you know, these tourists, you know, stepping on their balcony naked or putting, you know, towels <laughs> on the you know, balconies and, you know, looking at street sweepers at night, you know, all the, all the kind of logistics operation. Cause you got to remember that, that in and of itself is such a challenge because there's no back to that hotel. I mean, you're yeah. facing the public realm, uh, facing Disneyland drive or you're on top of downtown Disney or you're on top of, you know, the, the Grizzly peak, uh, you know, uh, state park kind of area in the park. So you're, you're, you're needing to do like underground servicing, both valet deliveries, uh, you know, loading, shipping, receiving, all that kind of stuff. So it, it's ironic because in a lot of ways it's the most urban and mixed-use, vertical, urbane thing Disney's ever done, uh, even though they've done redevelopment projects in, you know, New Times Square and Hollywood Boulevard. Those were adaptive reuse of uh, existing buildings. This was like this Manhattan-level, complicated, vertical, mixed-use piece of architecture, um, and the theme is a National Park Lodge. Yeah, so the exact opposite of, of what it is. Uh, and then related to that, of course, you know, there's elements around that, including, uh, you know, I, I did an early layout for downtown Disney that, you know, was really pushing to, you know, rather than just have the spine go north, south from the parking garage to the hotel, I just thought, you know, having a walkable pedestrian connection from, um, you know, the convention of the, the core critical mass of lodging and rooms at the hotel directly uh, into the parks was so important. And, uh, you know, one of the passes I did actually took you, uh, kind of similar to the, what we call the French Connection, you know, World Showcase from France um, into the uh, the uh, Epcot Resorts, the Yacht Beach Club, yeah. um, Boardwalk area, you know, almost like a, a river walk, you know, a Venice, Italy slash Venice Beach, California, postmodern Mediterranean, you know, San Antonio yeah. river walk type thing that would actually take you right into the rivers of America. Um, anyways, I, I digress. Uh, but uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff from Blue Sky um, and beyond uh, in those in those days before I left. I, I was there actually until 1999, where things were pretty much hot and heavy under construction. So a lot of the fun heavy lifting of you know design uh, and documentation, and obviously 
engineering was, you know, pretty much done and well underway because you're you're basically doing uh, show uh, production and install. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a. I, I thought I'd retire there. Never thought I'd leave, but I uh, had a college professor that actually uh, was an adjunct professor that offered me a, a job I couldn't refute that doubled my salary. He <laughs> gave me three projects bigger than the Disneyland Resort, you know, two Native American uh, gaming anchor destinations. Um, you know, one was the Morongos out in the, uh, you know, the Coachella Valley um, and, uh, you know, a, an entire new town, kind of an Epcot scale project that uh, was kind of you know projects of a lifetime that i never thought i'd be able to pass up so um yeah that was that was a kind of an interesting bridge opportunity before we launched storyland and plain joe in 2001 yeah those and of course that's just to to talk about those steps that none of us know the future none of us know what's coming next but kind of what whether you want to call it the factor of one some people i know call it that maybe the butterfly effect but just this thing of when you do look back and you say hey if i had not done this and you could name literally anything or if i had never met this one person i would not be where i am today because everything just stems off of and kind of creates this to now you know where you're at right now and being able to impact and provide opportunities for these other people and all the different areas that you're able to do like we've talked about um, would not have happened without this person giving you this opportunity or you leaving at that point or you know there's so many different things that had to happen to lead you where you are today thanks for listening to part one of this interview with Imagineer Mel McGowan we are going to come back one week from today have a second part we're going to talk about the building and the planning of Disney's California Adventure. Why the theming of that park? What was going on with Superstar Limo? So we want to invite you to come back next week. In the meantime, please go over to www.beyondthepixiedust.com because we have all sorts of Facebook groups and we have a book. There's just a lot of stuff there that I would love for you to check out and uh, connect with you more via that website. So hope to see you soon and we'll talk to you next week.